welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host Rebecca Roberts and each week we're going to be speaking to different guests about their take on how to engage a youth audience. I really hope you like it. Hello, welcome to episode four of the Hear It podcast. Now for episodes four, five and six, I've got three different guests who are all talking about how they create an online community, specifically for young people. I'm really interested about how they manage kind of different stakeholder demands and how they get the right tone of voice, content generation through their different channels. We'll be looking at different social media platforms and how they kind of all come together to make the right ecosystem for that online community. So first up, we've got Azim Ahmed from Staffordshire University. Here's what he had to say. My name is Azim Ahmad. I am the Digital Marketing Manager at Staffordshire University. I've been there since February 2018, so about two and a half years, maybe a bit more. I've worked in the marketing industry since 2014. I've spent a few years agency side, I think maybe four and a half years agency side. Then I made the move in-house, working for a company that did staycations. Uh, and now I am here at the university. So the first sort of adventure into higher education. So you've recently been blogging um, about inclusion and diversity in the industry. So can you tell us a bit more about the um, research you did? So with that, I got a message completely out of the blue where somebody who organises a small marketing event got in touch with me and said, we've, we've seen the work that you do. We would love to have you at this event as a judge. What what do you say? And I jumped at the chance. I said, yes, this is great. And then the, the message was read. Didn't hear anything back. And then a few weeks later, this uh, event announced its lined up. And it was completely white. And I saw it and I just thought, why why is there no colour in this lineup? So I just sent them a message and I said things like, look, having a, an all-white lineup, it's not a, a clear representation of our industry. I think there was majority of men as opposed to women as well. So I highlighted that as well. Um, and then I also sent them a report, a link to a report that highlighted the, the disparities between white and people of colour and BAME leadership at senior levels in UK businesses. Also, I recommended that they sign up to the DICE Charter, which is short for Diversity and Inclusion at Events. Again, they, mess- they read that message, uh, they acknowledged it, but didn't do anything about it to me. So I could see that the message was read and I could see that the company had publicly committed to doing so going forward. So a small win for them, but just a strange one because they could have just said, you know, thanks for highlighting that. We'll do better next time. I did a bit of digging, looked at their went back a few years and saw that this would be going on for four or five years. Then I thought, is this just going to be isolated to one event or is it going to be something that's going on across the industry? So I started to look at marketing conferences, um, spent a huge amount of time looking into them too. I used to get really down when I looked at events thinking, God, this is a great event. The topics are great. Let's have a look who's going to talk about them. And it was just a sea of white people, white faces, generally white men. And I was like, surely... At some points, I was thinking, God, am I the only non-white person in the in the marketing industry? Because this can't be right. And when I used to go to events, I would see people of colour in the crowds, but never on stage. And that's what motivated me to start speaking. And then I just started speaking to event organisers saying, look, you know, what's going on? Why why is this the case? I did some like anonymous research into these conferences, looked at the lineups over the past few years, and just saw that things haven't really been progressing in the past four or five years. Fast forward to 2020, in the middle of a global pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, continues to grow and gain prominence globally. And now there's a real highlight on diversity and inclusion across the board. 
um, as well as the obvious disproportionate treatment of black people by the police. So I thought now is probably the best time to release this information that I've been researching in 2019 right the way up to early 2020. And the intention is to restart this survey that I ran where I anonymously spoke to marketers in the industry and asked them what their thoughts were. So the, the overall aim is to do a then and now piece to see if things have progressed or if things have moved backwards. If you've not got a diverse lineup of people actually in the industry, how can you even support a community through online channels? Like, do you think that's got a knock-on effect? Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking to a company before and they brought me in as an external to have a look at their marketing, the strategy and everything else and, and how they were talking to people. And the question essentially was, what what do you notice? What do you think? And I was sat at the table and I, was like, I said words to the effect of, well, your target audience is young and they're from a diverse range of backgrounds um, and they're not all white. Everybody around this table is all old and white and there was literally no market research done or anything else like that. It was literally me saying, how can you know and understand how to speak to your target audience of various different backgrounds when you're all older and white people? And I didn't say it in a sort of condescending way, but that was just the obvious thing that stood out to me. When I looked at the audience and I looked at the people trying to talk to that audience, there was a huge gap in the middle. And then the response, to be fair, was it shocked me because it was just showed what a huge disconnect there was. It was just uh, words to the effect of, oh, well, we also had uh, Jane blogs in our uh, senior leadership team. Um, And you may or may not know, but she was a female and she was young and she was black. The only thing that they probably didn't say was she ticked a box for us, which is kind of how it came across for me. So from the back of that, I said, you really need to probably go back to to square one and start looking at this properly. As well as your own marketing team to make sure that you are you know, recruiting as um, diversely as you can. If you don't already have a diverse team, but you're working on it, how how else do you um properly engage rather than just wheeling a person of colour in as like you say to tick a box like how how else should teams be approaching this to do it in a, in a better way so for me where I talk about diversity and inclusion the difference between diversity and inclusion is being invited to a party and having a great time at a party so to address that I think one of the things that could be done is to host like a round table style event or if we're still in the middle of a pandemic a virtual event where you've got a series of diverse voices around the table at the ideation stage and not at the execution stage. It's the equivalent of previously executing a campaign, trying to reach a younger audience and then reaching that audience and saying, we did this, what do you think? Did we do it right? How can we do it better next time? The opposite of that is you have a conversation with them before anything happens saying, we're planning to do this. How do you think we should approach it? It's got to take some uncomfortable conversations and a real like addressing and highlighting of privileges and injustices faced by sort of specific demographics to move forward and in that I mean there are young people who are well there are young people there are older people there are young black white Asian trans LGBTQ plus every they're disabled people every type of community needs to be spoken to and as you mentioned about tokenism I think brands should try and avoid tokenism and virtue signaling. If it's executed correctly, I believe it will land. I've seen some companies release marketing more recently where they've got black faces in the marketing. 
and it, it just seems forced the way the language is used the placement of the image in the advert it just seems forced and it's almost as if like you're ticking a digital box so i think that you should get these voices involved at the ideation stage rather than the execution stage if you skip those steps you're almost ignoring like the very essence of what you do as a professional in terms of involving your art, your target audience. I'm curious to get your take around how you amplify those voices, making sure those voices are heard. So for instance, like if you're pitching an idea to senior staff and university is a great example or academics, your target audience often isn't the one that's making the decision around whether a campaign's good. How do you go about that? Do you use data? Do teams need to be thorough about representing that voice? How do teams approach that? For me, it's absolutely about data 100%. Um, in any sort of marketing that we do, I will try and give a, a why behind it. So if I'm managing a team of marketers, I never say there's a wrong answer to anything. There is an obvious wrong answer. Let's just turn it all off, for example. That's a polar end of it. I try and say, or we'll have a conversation about it. So if I put an idea forward, I'll say, here's my idea. Here's why I think we should do this. And here's the data behind it. So for example, not too long ago, I had noticed that a lot of advertisers were pulling back on Snapchat. And I'd noticed that the cost to reach a younger audience had dropped massively because a lot of advertisers had pulled out. So I said, we should do this now. It's going to be a great way for us to get awareness of the brand, make people come and visit the website, and then we can retarget them with some of our advertising about X, Y, and Z. And then the thinking was behind it, even though I gave them a Y and the data behind it, well, if other advertisers have pulled out, it's obviously not good. So it's just going to be a waste of money. And I just thought, well, it's a little bit deflating to hear that because I had looked at even the share prices of the product. And I thought as a marketer, you wouldn't normally imagine looking at the share prices of a marketing platform. And I was noticing that it was going up and people were investing heavily in this. So people were buying shares, but advertisers were pulling out. So there's something there. And I'd noticed that advertisers in America had started doing this and reaching a young audience. And they're like, this is great. It's much cheaper than YouTube. We're getting great engagement from it. Website visits are through the roof. It took that and me saying, look, this is happening in the industry now. We've still got a chance to jump on this and make a success out of it it took that to start the ball rolling um which is quite difficult because often it's it's hard certainly i've seen friends in other universities who work in marketing there most universities that i've seen and been made aware of quite find it quite hard to be the first to do something it's a risk and of course it is especially in the current climate um if you take a risk and it doesn't work you're going to be in a lot of hot water potentially and I think universities and any brand that's trying to target young a younger audience probably wants to avoid that. So it's just a case of risk and reward. But in terms of amplifying various different voices, I will try and bring as much data as possible. I will look at our own target audience, for example, and I will say our target audience is made up of X percent of this category, X percent of this category. We should try and reach them by doing this. And then I'll give all the data possible and I'll try and put it into a language that's easily readable. Just picking up that point around data, because I think it's an interesting one, because obviously you're in university and you're looking at kind of recruitment figures as a whole. It is about an individual student, but ultimately it is about numbers and recruitment. However, when it comes to making sure that you've got you're recruiting as diverse a range of students as you can, it's not always going to be the mass numbers that make a difference. Surely there's more that we could do to say, well, actually, 
okay, that is a, a smaller reach, but the engagement from the audience that we're trying to reach was really strong. So is there a role there around data that we should be questioning in a bit more of a thorough way with diversity in mind? I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as an example for what I'm doing now with the university is I look at the journey from start to finish. If somebody clicks through onto a Facebook advert and decides to book an open day, great. We know how much we've spent to acquire that person um, and then via CRM and every way we can track that person legally, of course, we'll know if that person has attended an open day. And for some marketers, that's where the job ends. What I do is I'll try and take that a step further and I'm interested in whoever Joe or Jane Bloggs is. I know they've clicked on a Facebook advert about geography, for example. I know they've come to an open day. What I'm really keen to find out is have they applied to the university and are they going to become one of our students? Because then I'll start to be able to work out what the true cost of getting somebody from an awareness stage to an actual enrollment stage. And in terms of diversity, absolutely, we can identify um, pockets of the country where you know the, the social and economic status is lower and typically it's where people of colour reside. We can look at that and say, right, we can target campaigns here. We can change the messaging. And as you said, right, the reach is going to be is quite low. But we know this is where our audience is. And we've got previous data to say that this is the type of audience who will engage with us when we speak to them in the right way. And if we can speak to them in the right way, we can get them onto campus. If we can get them onto campus, we can tell them about the benefits of studying with us. Then we can help them to apply and we can help them to enroll. And then they become one of our students. So... I always use the analogy of, of fishing in ponds when it comes to marketing. It's very easy to fish in large ponds with loads of fish uh, of varying quality. But when you fish in smaller ponds where you know it's higher quality fish, it's going to take longer to, to catch them. But the quality of it is going to be much, much better and the reward is going to be much, much better. So what I would do is harness the groups that already exist in the university so they'll be equality diversity and inclusion groups and there'll be specific groups or societies that look after the interests of people who are disabled people who are transgender people who are from the lgbtq plus community get them all into a room start talking to them don't do it after you've executed the marketing do it before say we are thinking about doing this what is the best way to do this and how can we do it in a way that is going to really resonate with this audience who we don't really understand but we know you are a part of as opposed to hi everyone would like your attendance at a meeting we've got some advertising material that we've put out and we want your thoughts on it do it before the fact rather than after the fact and i guarantee the results are going to be much better if you do it that way so of course i wanted to know how azim and his team have been getting on during lockdown and what examples he had of really engaging different audiences through really difficult times yeah so i wouldn't be able to finish this without giving a little bit of a shout out to our fantastic social media and communications team because they are incredible uh, we've got social media groups for students who are starting in various years and there's a great sense of community within those every so often i dive in and just look and see what they're doing and what they're up to um, they're doing during lockdown they're doing regular virtual meetups online quizzes they're doing things like Facebook watch parties, uh, cooking shows, cook-alongs, live streaming of things like exercise, yoga routines, 
for the gamers. There's live streaming of games. They're setting up games tournaments for charity. Um, speaking of charity, we had a group of cricketers from the university who took on a giant task of trying to cover 874 miles in one week, the equivalent of travelling from Land's End to John O'Groats for charity. Basically, it would meant that they would need to run, walk or bike half a marathon every day each. Just saying that makes me tired, but they did it. They raised an incredible amount of money. I think it was just over £1,500. During lockdown, we had Mental Health Awareness Week. Things like games nights, kindness cafes, tips for healthy eating, chats with our residence life team. There's been things where we've had students themselves starting their own YouTube channels. They talk about life in lockdown, tackling assignments, being more productive, how to deal with exams during lockdown. Exactly the type of content that I'm talking about, students making content for students great so when it comes to who to look for for the most inspiration and great youth campaigns i was keen to ask azim who he rated was doing a great job for me probably because i'm their target audience and spend far too much with them gymshark are fantastic and especially on tiktok you wouldn't put the two together because you think gymshark you'd probably think uh, young or a middle-aged adult interested in fitness but they reach and engage young people so well there's two examples that came to mind immediately for me. There was one of a young young, young man boxing um, and he was shadow boxing and avoiding a swinging punch bag. Somebody went on to the comments and said to him, this is great, but if you did it blindfolded, I'd be more impressed. So they took that piece of content, they took his comment, embedded it into a video, got him to blindfold himself and do it again. And that comment was throughout the whole video that was great i thought this is a great way of turning something negative into a positive equally they're great at using their own audience as well they had a young girl who was obviously spending a lot of money on buying products and she was recording herself getting a delivery which her mom had intercepted so she tried to lie to her and say oh this is all coming for free jim shark have sent me all this stuff for free um, and then her mum was asking her questions like, how did I know your size? Um, <laughs> what are they selling you and everything else? And it was hilarious trying to watch her justify this lie and getting deeper and deeper into it. And obviously the mum had worked it out by the end. So Gymshark were one great example. In terms of an even younger audience, Fortnite, who haven't long joined TikTok, I think it was probably around April time, so not too long. A handful of videos, millions of followers. Fortnite is massive. It's a great way of talking to a young audience. Um, their execution of Travis Scott Presents Astronomical across so many channels was incredible. It's probably one of the pinnacles of more recent cross-channel marketing. Um, but they have got so much content, so many videos which speaks to young people. They've got the cartoon characters doing the like emote dances that you can get throughout the game. They had various like hashtag challenges that they wanted their audience to get involved in. Brilliant at reaching that younger, younger audience and younger demographic. They even brought Rick Astley's probably so many more royalties because they had a challenge involving um, being Rickrolled and never going to give you up. So I can imagine the amount of times that must have got done and shared. It was incredible. I love that Rick Astley's still around because I think I, I remember doing a Rickroll thing maybe even like three, four years ago. And I saw one the other day again. And I was like, oh, it's just not going. I mean, he must be having a great time just from royalties. <laughs> In his mansion. Any books or podcasts that you think if you're in marketing comms are well worth checking out? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend a podcast called Edge of the Web. That's a podcast hosted by Erin Sparks from Site Strategics uh, in a company in America. 
They are over 350 episodes strong, been going for years, and they cover every marketing topic under the sun. That's it, episode four is done. I really hope you found that useful. Thanks, Azim, for your time. Now, if you've got any themes you'd like us to cover on the Hear It podcast, drop me an email, which is rebecca at threadandfable.com. Next up, we're speaking to Emma Gilmartin from Glasgow University. It's definitely one to check out.